The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Anybody thankful? Praise God. Go ahead and take a seat. We are going to look at another psalm today. This is our second week in the summer through the psalms, and we're going to open up our Bibles to Psalm chapter 19, or Psalm 19. We're going to pray over the word in a minute, but as a bit of an intro here, have you ever been outside the city lights and caught just this breathtaking view of all the stars, the galaxies. It's an incredible sight. I've stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon in Nevada, and I've seen it. In the middle of Joshua Tree, between the Mojave and the Colorado deserts, I've seen it. In the center of Yosemite, Yosemite Valley in the Sierra Nevadas, oh, I've seen it. And it's beautiful. Uh, When I was in Yosemite, actually, I took about five days and I tented, and it it was wonderful. It was like $5 a night. You just pop up tent and college student. It was, (laughs) oh, such a great trip. Loaded everything into the back of my hatchback and there I was, me and the deer and bears. Uh, But I I just so enjoyed uh, those days being in God's beautiful creation. Well, one of the days I thought it would be a good idea to hike up to Glacier Point. I realized very shortly This was a bad idea, because it's a very steep climb, and I had very few hours left of daylight. In fact, hikers coming down were saying, why are you going up? Because it's too late in the day. So, oh man, there's something in me that wanted to go up to Glacier Point in Yosemite. So I went back down, I I looked up real quick, is there a way to get up there by car? Of course there is. And so I took my car up there, and I, I, I got atop this beautiful vista, the sun is setting, And all these people start gathering around me, and they're setting up these giant telescopes. And when I say giant telescopes, I mean giant telescopes. How'd you even fit that in a pickup? And I found out this happened to be the one day of the annual astronomy club viewing. And I just happened to be there on Glacier Point in Yosemite on that day. Lucky boy am I. And so I, I asked if I could stick around, to which they said, yes. And uh, they said, what do you want to see? I said, what do you mean? They said, you, you pick any planet, any star. And they had this whole catalog of them. We'll type in the coordinates, and the thing will move and focus exactly on that thing. Wow. Free of charge. <laughs> Amazing. Psalm 19 is taking us there to just... just just gaze upon God's creation, the wonder of his hands. Uh, in fact, Psalm 19 tells us to take a break from our cell phone. Get outside, look up, see what God has made. Witness the moon, the stars, the sun. By the way, if I just, this popped in my head. If your Bible's on your cell phone, you're fine, okay? <laughs> I just, it popped in my head. I don't know if you were thinking that, but But witness the moon, the stars, the sun as it sets its course. Goes from sunrise to sunset, one horizon to the other. 
Psalm 19 is inviting us into something the heavens and their expanse have been telling us for millennia. In fact, Psalm 19 was written by, it's a musical poem written by a king. It says it was written for the choir director or chief musician. Now some commentators, as I look this up, think that it could have been David, King David, his royal choir director. It was written for him. Others believe that it's possibly written for the chief musician himself, God, as an homage or a dedication to him. Either way, the famous writer C.S. Lewis says, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poems in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. How I wish I was more trained in Hebrew because we would see more of the beauty that's written in this poem. It just doesn't translate to the full depth and range of beauty in the English language, but we're going to try our best this morning. Psalm 19 is more than just appreciating creation. It's an invitation for you and I to know our creator. The first half, verse 1 through 6, think of this as a running outline in your mind. The first half, verse 1 through 6, it talks about the heavens or the skies declaring there is a God. The second half, verses 7 through 14, is declaring, not the heavens and the skies, it's God's word now declaring, you can know who God is. You catch that? First half, heavens declaring there is a God. Second half, God's word declaring you can know who that God is. And before we dive into Psalm 19, let's say a word of prayer and ask that God would reveal what he wants to reveal to us by his word and spirit. Father, we come before you I thank you for the precursor to this message, some of those beautiful songs that the worship team had picked out. And as we're looking at a musical poem, what a great segue into your word today, singing these songs. And as I just got a sense of what was happening in the room, God, I see a people here this this morning that are excited to know you. We want to step into a greater knowledge of who our creator is, why we're here, what your purposes are for our life, God. And so humbly but yet boldly by your grace we come. And we want to just have a meal in your word. So what is it you want to say to us today, God? We open up our hearts and minds to you in Jesus' name to hear. Amen. Verse 1, Psalm 19. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Their expanse, excuse me, the heavens are telling Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. There is a poetic echo here. Imagine again, let's go back to Glacier Point, and we yelled from the top over Yosemite Valley, you'd hear an echo come back to you. That's what's happening in a poetic form here in verse 1. The heavens, their expanse, are telling, are declaring the glory of God, the work of his hands. That's how you know this is poetry happening here. And we should appreciate it for the artwork that it is, but also try to catch, if we didn't catch it the first time, catch the echo of what's being said here. Essentially saying, look up. The skies are telling us something. In fact, no, they're declaring it to us. Don't you see the fingerprints of God? Don't you see that what we're living in is his masterpiece? 
even unbelievers, when they go to one of the various places I've mentioned or think of the, a beautiful landscape you visited, even unbelievers, you'll hear it just come out of their mouth, oh my God. And you say, okay, that's just a figure of speech, but is it? Is it really? Or is there something baked into them, hardwired into them? Is there a soul that's crying out that I need to know who's behind this? Well, Romans 1 would say that is the truth. Verse 19 and 20 says, That which is known about God is evident within them. And it's talking about mankind. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, there it is, talking about the skies, the heavens, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made. Catch this. So that they, mankind, you and I, are without excuse. For somebody who is not leaned in and surrendered to Jesus, God revealed on earth, this should be sobering. You should be thinking, I don't have an excuse to stand on. I need to come to grips that creation is crying out, there's a creator, and I need to know him. For those of us who have leaned in and surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, we should be looking at this and saying, praise God, I don't have to have an excuse. I've got a creator who's got me covered. Psalm 14 comes out and just offends the rest, I'd say group A, just offends them. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Wow, God just called you a fool. That should be offensive, but let it offend you. Let it convict you. Because atheism is an outlier. Yeah, I hear the little murmurs about its rising in popularity and things like that. But it's foolishness. It's foolishness. Why is that? Because we would never look at a building and not think about an architect. And if you wondered if there was an architect behind the construction of that building, don't step into it. It's going to collapse on you. But if we see a well-constructed building, we have to look at it and say, there must have been some sort of genius engineer who put this together. We look, we'd never look at a song without a composer. We would never look at a book without a writer. So why are we about to look at 100 billion stars within 100 billion galaxies and think otherwise? There must be a creator behind this creation. That's what verse 1 is declaring to us. Verse 2 says, Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's that echo again. Day to day, night to night pours forth, reveals speech, knowledge, God's glory echoing through his creation. You know, I bet a better place to read this psalm would be at Big Bend National Park at night. Let's all just travel there now. You don't have holiday plans, do you? It's billions of stars burning with the glory of God. You know, when it says it pours forth speech, the idea behind that word is like this, this rushing, flowing river. It, it, it's not a little trickle. If, if, we, if we let it captivate our soul, What's happening, what God's doing through his creation, he's saying there's a steady flowing river 
that is pouring forth this speech and this knowledge if we would only listen. Revelation 22, it points my mind there because we see this little snapshot of heaven. And what we see there is we see this river flowing from the throne of God. And you can mark it down in your notes, Revelation 22, it's a good read. It talks about what's happening with this river. On both sides of the tree of life, it's, it's fruiting every month. It's providing life and sustenance and healing for the nations. I mean, there's all these great things. What is it saying, though? It's saying, from the throne of God comes all life. And that's what we're seeing with this steady flowing river. Day to day, it's pouring forth speech. Night to night, it's revealing knowledge. Something deeper is going on when we look at creation. Even the stars alone have a lot of knowledge for us, don't they? It's pretty brilliant. It's pretty brilliant. I mean, even before you think about like, like phone apps that do everything for us now. You think about it, like the stars would help us navigate. How cool is that, right? You can go on a midnight voyage on a, on a vessel. You better learn how to read the stars because they help you navigate. They illuminate our surroundings so we can walk in the night. They mark seasons for us. I mean, they should cause us to marvel. There's design. There's genius behind them. There's God as creator behind his creation. Proverbs 1 says that wisdom shouts in the streets. Well, Psalm 19 is saying knowledge is spoken from heaven. That's why when we read at verse, verse 3 here, it should, it should kind of hit us as a bit antithetical. It says, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. That struck me at first because I hold on. Verse 1 and 2 is saying there is speech. There is knowledge. They're declaring. They're telling. But then we get to verse 3, and it says there's no speech, there's no words. Their voice is not heard. That's antithetical. Those two don't line up. What is happening behind this? I believe that verse 3, God is trying to tell us even the skies have their limit. See, in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of your Bible, verse 6 and also into verse 8, it says that God said, let there be an expanse. God called that expanse heaven. See, creation is not the voice. It needs to be activated by the creator. This you'll find interesting is that, remember I said there's an outline to this psalm, verse 1 through 6, first half, second half, verse 7 through 14. If you look at the word used for God in verse 1 through 6 when it talks about creation and nature, it's a very generic word, L, E-L. It's the most generic word that you can use for God in the Bible. It could mean God, it could mean uh, mighty things in nature, it could mean power, but it's, it's generic. It's not very definite or personal. But then you get to the second half of the psalm, verse 7, when it starts talking about God's word, it uses Lord, Jehovah, personal. In fact, it means the one true existing God. I find this fascinating, even embedded in the language of this text. You see that nature, again, can declare to you there is a God, but only the Bible can declare to you who that God is. 
While creation can captivate a soul, only the word of God revealed in Jesus Christ can save it. If you're looking to be made right with God, you have to look first to the creation and go, wow, there must be a God. And then let that draw you into the question, who is he? That's why the word of God is so powerful for us because it declares with confidence. Remember, even at the risk of offending some as earlier, if you heard, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. God is okay with offending certain people as long as we would let that offense turn into conviction, turn into faith, turn into trust. So if that's you, I would say put yourself in a position to let God's word take you to himself. Well, verse 4 and 5 here. Their line, and that word line could also be translated as sound, Their sound has gone out throughout the earth, and their utterance is to the end of the world. In them, God has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. If we look very carefully at these two verses, we see a gospel setup, y'all. I mean, look at the words. Their line, sound, has gone out through all the earth, okay? Noted. Their utterance to the end of the world, noted. In them, in the heavens, God has placed a tent for the sun. Now, he, then he likens this, he uses that as an example to say, the sun is a bridegroom. Ding, ding, ding. Anybody starting to catch it? Coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man. Ding, ding, ding. Anybody catching it? To run its course. I like the way the ESV puts it. It rejoices a strong man to run its course. ESVA says to run its course with joy. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, verse 2, says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So we've taken our eyes from the stars and we fix them now on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He ran his course with joy, much like the sun is running its course with joy, with the glory of God. Revelation says Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. The church being his bride uses that example, that that connected intimate relationship. Matthew, the gospel Matthew says that Jesus is at least his spirit, the spirit of Christ is the strong man of our life. There's the tie-ins. And now check this out. Psalm 103 says, and we sang it today, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our what? Our sins, our transgressions, our trespasses, the places where we went foul, the places where we fell short of the glory of God, the places where of darkness we know that don't line up with his light. All of those things that need to be taken to the cross. As far as the east is from the west, think about the sun rising to the sunset. Think about horizon to horizon. There are no poles to mark the difference. As far as the east is to the west, God has removed transgressions from those who would trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Wow. Thank you, God. Hmm. Y'all ready for verse six? 
We good? Verse 6, here we go. It's rising. Of course, the sun is from one end of the heavens, its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Sun rises, it sets to the other side, it's, it's doing its thing, it's running its course. We talked about that. And along the way, in that timeline, nothing is hidden from its heat. I don't know, that sounds like a Texas summer to me, right? <laughs> it's hard to hide from the heat here. Let that be an example next time you're out there. You're like, oh man, it's so hot. Last night, we're waiting in the line at Arby's in the drive-thru, and we're, our, our air conditioner is pretty bad because it's like a 19, whatever, no, it's a 2009 Toyota Sienna, and the AC is going out. Okay, we're sitting in the van, and we're like, it's hot. We can't hide from this heat, right? And then we're going to sit there and eat Arby's melts. Come on, what are we thinking, right? <laughs> Nothing is hidden from its heat. As the sun is going from one end to the other, we've got, we've got it. We've got a timeline to figure this out. God has given us a life to discover who he is. And, and, and you're not going to hide from the heat of God. In fact, again, Hebrews, it keeps popping up. Chapter 4, no creature is hidden from the sight of him, but all things are naked and laid bare of the eyes of God to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Well, you might ask, what is that confession? Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's incredible. I want you to see what happens when Jesus returns. Just, just to, let me set it up for a second here, though. Remember we said the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything out there is illuminating. It's, 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 it's bright, it's brilliant, it's shining God's glory. Now watch this. Mark chapter 13, it talks about Jesus' return and what happens. When Jesus returns, it says, In those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light, and the stars will be facing from heaven. Excuse me, falling from heaven. And the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see Jesus coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. Why is this significant? Because everything that was declaring in creation God's glory no longer needed. Jesus is here. The glorious one that everything up until that point has been witnessing to. All of creation is witnessing that there's a greater glory to come. God, he's been revealed. His name is Jesus. He came once to die for the sins of humanity, to, to, to live and show us how to live this life, but also to die on our, our behalf because every one of us knows we have not lived up to God's standard, let alone our own moral standard. Even if I try to be good according to my own good standard, I know I still fall short of that. How much more so a perfect God's standard? So what does God do? He doesn't sit 
with arms folded and look down on us and wipe us out. Praise God, he comes with open arms and he hangs on a cross and he dies for our sin and he carries all, all of the weight of our brokenness to Calvary. And he dies and he's buried and the burial is significant to us and it's what we celebrate in communion. We say, wow, his, his body broken, his blood poured out, buried in the ground and risen again, giving me hope for new life, giving me hope for eternal life with God. We need to embrace this truth, not run from it. We need to listen to what Psalm 19 is saying, that it's declaring there is a God. And now as we transition to verse 7, you can know him. So let's read verse 7 here, verse 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I'm going to read on. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You're finding here there's a cause and effect from God's word. Here's the cause. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The law, testimony, precepts, commandment, if you added a 1 to Psalm 19 in the front, Psalm 119, you got to that, that psalm, you would see that all of these words that I just brought up are synonyms to simply bring us to the Word of God, to talk about the Word of God that we have here, Genesis through Revelation, pointing us to what does God say? The cause is God's, God's Word. The effect, you notice in verse 7 and 8, Restoring the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes. We know that God's word was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? All the commandments, laws, precepts, all those things we just mentioned, all the demands of God, all the things that he says are right to do, all of those things were fulfilled in Jesus, who, again, lived a perfect life and died to make up the change on our account, right? So Jesus, being the word of God, revealed what happens when we come to his word, when we come to his son, Jesus. Well, the effect here in verse 7 8, it says, souls will be restored. The simple will become wise. Hearts will experience joy. And lastly, eyes will be opened. And, and that's, that's the story of my life and putting my faith in Jesus. That's what ha- I'm, a, I'm a simple guy. And thank God he's placed his wisdom and entrusted it to me. I, my soul was, was messed up. Thank God he's restored something in me. My, my heart was filled with anxiety. Thank God he places joy there. My eyes were closed because I didn't see in the generation I grew up, I didn't see the glory of God. I didn't even know there was a God. Thankfully, they've been opened. I've seen the effect of God's word in my life. Have you seen it in yours? I pray to God that you do. Verse 9. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. It, it takes a little bit of a turn here. It starts talking about something a little different, not, not necessarily the, the law, testimony, precepts, commandments, not necessarily the word of God. It, now it talks about something that's a response to that. Remember we said the cause and the effect. Now here's the response. We have the fear of the Lord. What is that? It's reverence. It's bowing. It's worship. It's hands raised. It's, it's whatever we do to express our thanks as an offering to God. It's, it's, it's how do I now, God, align my life to what you want for me? I want to live for you, God. This is the fear of the Lord goes on forever. It's not being afraid of him that would keep us from him, but it's, it's respecting, being in awe of, revering to the point where I say, no, I want to give my life to you because you're greater than me. That's the only thing that's going to go on forever. Again, it's that declaration, it's that confession, it's that placing our faith, our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. If he said he did it, I believe it. And then it says the judgment or rule is righteous altogether. And don't we need that? In this day and age, don't we need a rule or a leadership that's righteous altogether? It's not two-faced. He doesn't promise you one thing and then bait and switch. God's rule, whatever comes under it, flourishes. Why? Because it's righteous all together. I want to be under the umbrella of his rule. I want to be in his kingdom. I want to be under his power. Why? Because I know the moment I step outside of that back into my sin, oh, it's not righteous altogether. It's messed up altogether. Thank God for his rule and his righteousness that is, it, it's righteous altogether. Thank God that heaven is just that. It's defined by God's rule encompassing all of it. Wow, what a reality God has in store for those who would trust in him. Verse 10 and 11. They, now again, it's talking about back towards the law, testimony, precepts, commandments. We could just say, the word of God, those things that God's saying in his word are more desirable than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And then verse 11, moreover by them your servant is warned and keeping them there is great reward. I don't know why when I read these two verses it sounded like a riddle to me. You know, what is richer than money, sweeter than honey, and rejecting a, a warning and obeying rewarding? And right here it's saying it's the word of God. The word of God is priceless. It's sweet, it's sobering, and it's rewarding. And that's what he's trying to say here. Don't you realize, as we've taken our, our, our focus from creation to realize there is a God, and we've placed it upon the word of God saying, wow, I can know who this God is. Between those two steps, you should realize what he's realized here. This is way better than all the money I could ever amass and all the pleasures I could ever take in in my life. And that's why we see with the remainder of this psalm, he turns from declaring these truths now to submitting his own life. This king is coming to his own knees and he's beginning to pray before God. And we're going to see that in verse 12 through 14. Verse 12, 
he asked the question first, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This prayer here is a great prayer for us to pray today. Because essentially what he's saying is, God, forgive me, because how can I even know the fullness of my error against you? So God, I'm just asking simply that you'd forgive me. Don't let sin rule over me, God. Then I will be blameless. Then I will be free. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate and it's sad when you see someone's sin overwhelm them to the point where they, they can't get out of it. They can't be freed from it. But there's hope. Wherever you're at today, there is hope for you if you're hearing this message and you're saying, I want to step in. I want to know God. Well, good news, there's hope in Jesus. This is good news here, that God actually wants to forgive you. He doesn't want sin to rule over your life. He wants you to not only be blameless, but be able to wake up in the morning and before him feel forgiven, feel accepted, feel worthy. I know it's not all about feelings, you with me? But isn't it good when the gospel penetrates your heart deep enough in your soul where you're like, grace, the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God is setting me free from my chains. You can wake up and feel the goodness of God. Wow. Even if I have tripped, slipped up, I can still go to God as someone who is, is a follower of Jesus. I can go to him and say, God, thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. All of it, God. Wow, you've washed it away. I believe in the very last part of this, this king, David, verse 14 is talking about that in his prayer when he, when he says there, there will be times still that I, I just need you, God, even though, yes, forgiven, yes, sin's not ruling over me, yes, I could be blameless in your sight, I could be free, but yet look still what he says, but still let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is he saying there? He's Lord, let the words that are coming out of my mouth line up with what's happening in my heart. Let them come in sync with one another. Let them be aligned under your word, God. My creator, my Lord, my rock. What is rock? It's a firm place for my life to find stability. I can place my feet upon it and know it's not like the rest of what the culture is offering, which is shifting sand. It's all about science. No, it's all about how you feel. Wait, whoa, which one is it? What do we do? Go this way, go this way. No, God is sure. His word is eternal. He provides a rock for our feet to stand on. And he's provided this down through the generations. All we have to do is step into relationship with him and find out for ourselves. Wow, what a rock 
What a stability for my life. And then I believe he says, Lord, my rock, and Lord, you're also my redeemer. Because there's going to be a certain point when my feet slip from the rock. And I need you to redeem. Lord, there's going to be a moment where I just, I fail you. I fall on my face. I should have done this, and I did this instead. I shouldn't have done that, and I did that instead. God, I need not only a rock for my feet, I need stability for my life. I need to know that in the moments when my feet slip, you'll catch me. And he declares here, Lord, you're my rock, you're my redeemer. So there we have it. Psalm 19. See where where we went? You track where we went? I'm trusting that the Spirit of God spoke to you through his word today. And he's leading you down a path towards knowing him. And I wonder if you're listening to what creation is telling and declaring to us. I wonder this morning if you're willing to obey what God's word is commanding of you. And I wonder if you're going to join in with creation in witnessing to the glory of God and letting your life burn like a star for the glory of God, showing other people, there's a rock, there's a redeemer. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. (laughs) Oh, man, there's a limit to the skies, and there's a limit to this guy standing up here. Even as I share your word, God, I, 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 I think, I, I wish I had more words to be able to say it in a way that lives up to, to what you're trying to say to us. But God, then I have to, I have to rest in the fact that it's, it's, it's more than creation that's speaking. God, when you created all the good that we see in this earth, even when it was dark and formless and void, your spirit was hovering over the darkness. And your spirit was actively working throughout creation. And I believe that even right now, Lord, you are working in the hearts and minds of the listeners this morning. And there are some that feel close to you that are rejoicing, saying, wow, what a God I get to serve. And there's others who might feel far from you this morning, God, who may, may not even feel confident or bold enough to cry out, Lord, be my rock, be my redeemer. But I pray and we pray together for them, God, that your spirit would move upon their life. And God, you would bring them to an understanding of who Jesus is. He is God. What he's done, he's died and he's risen again. And God, you would bring to mind and and just make it clear, Lord, the things we've talked about this morning, the response of putting our trust in you, Jesus. And God, I, I, I would also pray that, God, you would use our lives, much like the rest of your creation, God, to declare and to tell the story, the gospel, the good news of God. We need you, Lord. We appreciate you, God. We worship you this morning. And God, this has been such a sweet time in your word, and so we thank you for it. Continue as we know you want to, but Lord, we just say continue to lead our lives faithfully 
all the things that you want to accomplish, Lord, in and through us, let them be done. According to your name, Jesus. Amen.